You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. How's it going, lads? How are we? How are you? Brilliant. Wonderful. Did a bit of streaming recently, both. I did. No, just Kieran. Did I'll did I'll try and stream? Uh, I did not try, no. Um, but I, I will. I may try today, which um, isn't going to mean anything to people who are listening to this during the week, because today has already happened. Um, but oh. if you're listening to this, another attempt to stream ha- will will have been made. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to giving it a go. Yeah, I had a good stream yesterday. I streamed most of the day. I was just going to be grinding arena anyway, so decided to take the Skullcrack Twitch account out for its inaugural spin. And it uh, went really well. Obviously, not too many viewers for our first time streaming, but we had a bunch of different Irish MTG players and friends pop into the chat and help me out as I was losing my mind trying to grind to Mythic. I really thought I'd do it yesterday, but I've ended up, I think, still in Diamond 1. So I'm going to make that final push today. I might stream again a bit later, possibly as well, or something to try and get Mythic. But uh started out playing Blue-Red Drakes um, and then switched to the Blue-Green Mass Manipulation deck on... Your advice, Wolf. So I was that was that was the two decks I was playing most of the day. But it was good crack. Just playing Steely Dan and uh Stevie Wonder. Just all funk musicians starting with S is the theme of the stream. And uh, yeah, it was good fun. Excellent. Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching for the the bit that I could. Mm, thanks. So yeah, look, yeah, looking forward to see more. Yeah, definitely. We have um we have some news today. Uh, some of it is directly related to the to, to the game of Magic the Gathering, and others other news is uh, not exactly related to the game, but tangentially. So, um, will we? Which which do you want to kick it off with? Do you want to kick kick it off with the 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 TV show? Yeah, there's right. not much info on the TV show, right? So let's just say say what we know. Yeah. So yeah, an announcement was made earlier in the week. Uh, I think it originally came maybe from CNET. That's the the kind of earliest article that I can find. And basically it's an announcement of a Magic the Gathering TV show in partnership with Netflix. And the the big thing here, I suppose, is that the directors of Avengers Endgame, the Russo brothers, are actually the ones who are kind of bringing this to life. Um, I believe that they are, they're, the, they're some of the executive producers. So they're not actually directing it, but uh, well, maybe they will be directing individual episodes, possibly. Uh, however, they will be executive producing. And there is a whole host of other producers and talent involved. And like some of the previous credits of these people is like quite impressive. We have like Star Wars The Clone Wars, uh, shows like The Tick, Agent Carter. Um, we have like Bardell Entertainment. They did... They've done lots of uh, animated shows, like I think Teen Titans Go and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, so this is going to be an animated TV show. And the the teaser image that they showed was just like Chandra, just like a kind of a black and white and red image of Chandra. So I, I don't know if that's something that's being worked on in the show or if that's an image that is, has existed before. Um, also, there was a there was a parody article that went around that that called this an anime and i actually don't think we were discussing this before the show that i don't think there is any actual evidence to suggest that this will be an anime like anime style uh japanese style cartoon i don't think there's any evidence to suggest that it's probably just going to be 
a Western style cartoon. I, we don't even know, to be honest, if it's going to be like CG animated or traditional animated. No idea. But it'd be cool if they went to Kamigawa and then a Terme style. <laughs> what? Say that again? It'd be cool if they went to Kamigawa. It'd be cool if they went to Kamigawa and then it turned into like a high style show. Ooh. That would actually be kind of cool if the style changed depending on what plane they were on. Yeah, that would be awesome. Kind of like uh, the Animatrix or something like that. Yeah, that sounds great. Or, yeah, yeah. Or South Park. That's what my frame reference was for that. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's very exciting. Um, I think it's it's definitely a, it is, it's such, such a, a star sort of crew. Uh, it's like, this is pretty, this is the best in the industry all working together on a magic thing. Uh, and it's something that could end up being very, very good. Yeah, my understanding of exe- of executive producers is generally though they tend to be kind of the money people right they're they're kind of the the sort of project manager types who are just getting everything in order and making sure all the parts are kind of set up right business wise so you know who knows what that means in terms of how much actual creative you know uh um impact they're going to have on the project but like definitely it's the type of names that you want to hear like handling something like this no magic fan wants this to be kind of you know a ham-handed or like or kind of less than a grade product so it's definitely a good thing yeah yeah definitely they they had um they had a statement that said we've been huge fans and players of magic the gathering for as long as it had been around so being able to help bring these stories to life through animation is a true passion project for us so that that kind of indicates that they're doing something they're not just they're not just fronting money for it but like i mean this is the way that people talk in like in the hollywood tv whatever movie industry so yeah as you say Generally, executive producers, I mean, yeah, they, they, they just uh, put money up, but, you know, maybe they have some creative input. Yeah, hopefully so. Uh, there's already a subreddit about this, <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll link that in the show notes. It has a very, very helpful breakdown of everything that we know about the show so far. Um, if you want to dig into the talent behind it and the the announcement itself. So how, how close... Do we think that this is going to be to uh, Mana Dorks? Um, I think they ripped it off wholesale. I think we should. I've, I'm already preparing the legal documents to sue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's a uh, an idea we got first. Um, I, I presume um, based on the uh, the the image of Chandra that we've seen so far, it's going to be a set a game set in Magic Universe and not necessarily a um, character driven drama of children trying to learn how to play this game as uh, Mana Dorks. Uh, has been pitched as yes um I, I i do think there is something here that uh let me see if i can find the actual quote but I, basically the it, it will involve planeswalkers and we're going to be following them as they contend with stakes larger than any one world can hold so Whoa. yeah it's going to be planeswalker centric yeah i think we also know it's um it's a that's not that's not a very this i'm pretty sure it's a um like a, a new a new standalone story and not necessarily an adaptation of your previous uh, magic material. Yes. Um, which I guess, I guess is looking 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 through the Reddit comments. There there has been some like a lot of some people have been um, uh, disappointed at this. Some people saying, oh, you know, magic has such a long and rich history. You know, there's like got stuff like the Frexian invasion and the Brothers War, which would be amazing if adapted uh, onto a TV show or into like a, an animated show like this. Um, and I guess it's like I I feel like that's such a forty fan of criticism. Uh, because, like we said, we have like the best, we have you know a huge, uh, so all all the best people in in the industry working on this, uh, and it's almost like it makes a lot more sense to give people as creative as this their own freedom to you know write their own story in the Magic Gathering multiverse, 
uh, rather than be you know limited and stuck to uh, the the rails of of uh, previous material. Yeah, and what would be the point of rehashing a magic story from like twenty years ago that only the entrenched fans care about? They should be writing stuff that makes people excited about the characters that are in the story now in yeah. the current sets. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's uh, if <laughs> if anyone has listened to a. Uh, 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 me Wolf's other podcast where we reviewed the War of Spark novel, we could see that um, you know, forcing a creative person to uh, use a lot of already published material to, to write a story that's that has to stay strict to its particular uh, uh, mold, uh, sometimes does not end up being very, very good. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it'll be a good idea for them to to rehash those older stories. I think those those are done. They don't need to be revisited. Um, maybe some nods would be nice here and there, but yeah, something new, something fresh. As you said, Kieran, something using the new the characters that exist now and the characters that you know Wizards wants to use to sell their packs and sell their brand makes a lot more sense. Yeah, definitely. How annoying do you think Chandra's going to be? I mean, they can't make her too annoying, right? If she, she's going to be one of the main characters, it looks like from the preview image, so they're going to have to do some work there. Yeah, and hopefully, um, they they have the freedom to change her character entirely if they if if it's if it's story or if it makes sense. Um, she gets killed that. off in the first episode. That would be ideal. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, then everyone's like, "Oh my God, what the Magic Gathering anime? And you never know who, or animated show, and you never know who's going to survive." Imagine like that, that show. <laughs> yeah, if it was just brutal Game of Thrones style deaths every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Chandra is beheaded. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and maybe like because you know you know nowadays people are much more willing to watch animated series. Uh, e- even like I mean, there's stuff like um, like Rick and Morty and Bob's Burgers and BoJack Horseman that are aimed at at adults, uh, actually aimed at adults that people like, of course. But there's also other shows that are still aimed at kids, but adults quite like them as well, like stuff like Adventure Time or um, like Avatar: The Last Airbender, th- things like that that people have really gotten into. So if this has the potential to be something like that, then it could really push magic into an even wider uh to, to an even wider audience than, than it ever has been before and you know uh people can pe- you know that brings people into the game which is great yeah yep. <laughs> all right and then moving on to the actual news i guess the <laughs> news related to the game of magic uh the london mulligan will be officially introduced in all formats well except for commander <laughs> Um, no, it's being introduced in Coop. They announced that. Did they? Yep. No way. Was, uh, there was a post on Reddit about it the same day, unless it, that was a mistake. Oh, okay. Um, but then, what about, like, I guess people are still just going to use whatever rules they want for Commander, though, as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's people, you go to every different store, game store you go to, people have a different mulligan rules for, for multiplayer and Commander games, so people are still just going to do whatever they want in their, their own playgroup, I think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the London Mulligan previously tested on Magic Online, previously tested at Mythic Championship London, of course. And this is the Mulligan rule where instead of scrying and going down to six cards, going down to five cards, you instead draw seven each time and then choose to put cards from your hand equal to the number of times you've mulliganed on the bottom of your library. Um, So basically, this article by Ian Duke is, is quite detailed. And essentially, he said in the article that um, they looked at the numbers from Mythic Championship, they looked at the numbers from Magic Online, and they just simply didn't see enough evidence to indicate that this London Mulligan was negatively affecting any 
any formats or any games um and that overall it was a net positive for uh player agency and and the reducing the number of non-games that were played where someone mulligans into oblivion and then just never gets their never gets their third land or whatever and the the, the game was just over before it even really began um so he did bring up a number of concerns about older formats uh modern vintage legacy they actually said that the they were pleasantly surprised by the number uh, of uh, like like the 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 data that they collected from modern and that it wasn't nearly as uh nearly as dangerous as they kind of as some people had maybe predicted it to be and he also said that they they are still collecting data on legacy and vintage and they don't 100% know what's going to happen there in the future but they are they are averse to banning anything and they will only do that as kind of a last resort. And they're they're actually happy enough for the meta to adapt based on what people are using the London Mulligan for. They think that that's actually a fine price, fine price to pay. Yeah, there were just so many times streaming yesterday when I just kept thinking because I was kind of having to vocalize my thoughts a lot more than usual because uh, I had you know an, audi- an audience people or whatever that I was. Streaming. But uh, I I just kept mulliganing and going, man, this this game would be so much better if we had the mulligan london mulligan in right now like i just felt like oh this is a non-game and i can't i just can't wait for this change to come. and like the vast majority of players now with arena are playing standard and limited so i just think the quality of games is going to be so much higher there and to be honest yeah modern modern's just going to be crazy either way and they need to just they can they can do things with bands and stuff and but like I, i'm just glad it's coming and and as you say apparently it's not that big of a deal for modern anyway so bring it on i say yeah, um, on on Thursday in in our, our weekly Saturday Saturday tournament in the shop, uh, we had a chance to play with the London Mulligan. Um, I think it's at the moment some. I think at a, at, a, uh, at regular Oriel, regular yeah, regular Oriel. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, um, as long as everybody agrees, um, you know, the London Mulligan can be implemented in in Oriel tournaments or in, in regular tournaments. Uh, yeah, so I, I was I didn't realize at the last minute that we were going to be doing it. You know, uh, our uh, uh, level three judge uh ollie bird was was he gave he gave you know he, he was there and he gave a quick spiel as to you know what the london one is and it's up to us whether we want to uh, implement it uh the opinion was unanimous so it was implemented and um yeah so i suppose it's kind of I mean, so yeah the, the, the games i, I felt like uh, it made bulletin decisions um i kind of made kind of sixes so six six um cards to have after mulligan you know a lot, a lot, a lot you know more attractive to keep then i guess I found that it actually made my my decision to keep from or keep from all my first seven a lot harder because I'm just so used to you know I say if you get like a hand that's like marginal like a marginal hand uh, it might have uh, a two drop and a removal spell but you know for uh, this particular matchup it's not good enough and usually you would um, yeah usually usually you 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 would have in this you, yeah you would have in that um, kind of as as a strategic mulligan so but now I guess it's in a way. I feel like you're going to be you're you're going to want to do that more often. <clears throat> Sorry, you're, you're going to. I feel like now I find myself in more situations where I want to do that more. Wanted to do that more often, which usually is a difficult decision to make. Um, but because the penalty of going down to six isn't as harsh as it once was, um, I find myself thinking more about bulligating marginal hands or maybe hands are very capable. Um, so I think perhaps the amount of times we're going to overall uh, will increase. Yeah, I I don't know how many more sevens I'm going to be mulliganing. Obviously, I haven't experienced it yet, so you, you would know better than me i think the main factor is you're going to go from six cards to five cards so much fewer after you mulligan one time right because you're going to be so much happier with uh with your six when you see the seventh card in your hand rather than having to wait to scry to after you keep it 
I feel like that's the big difference. I think we're going to see a way, way fewer mulligans to five. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's also, also true because I think like one thing, you know, I suppose it's kind of let's say if, if I'm if I'm on one of my regular losing streaks on arena, uh, mm-hmm. usually a mentality I kind of develop is I get a seven. That's uh, maybe a seven, a seven that I should mulligan. Um, but I'd be thinking, oh no way, I have to keep this because if my six has no lands in it, then I'm just you know the game's just over. Uh, whereas like that's that's something that's going to happen, you know, yeah, a lot, a lot less often. Um, yeah, because there's nothing worse than <laughs> there's nothing worse than shipping marginal seven and then getting uh, an even weaker six and uh, being forced to get into five. Um, yeah, that feeling, like that is a bad feeling, but also that's sort of yeah to do. I think right, you can't like that. You can't be thinking about not mulliganing your seven in case your six bad. I don't think. I don't oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I suppose, I suppose so, that's, yeah. Why, that's why it's a it's mentality I develop I develop during my losing streaks because it's yeah, like you're, yeah. you're more focused on that kind of. Um, nonsense uh when you're already losing oh we've all been on tilt we, we all know how it feels yeah. i was i was getting a little tilty yesterday on this one uh uh ramza shout out to ramza one of the best uh fighting game players in ireland he was watching and he said you're tilting and i said i'm not tilting and he said so says everyone that has ever tilted <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah that's so true maybe i am tilting yeah yeah <laughs> uh, accurate observation there by ramza yeah shout out yeah i i think i agree with you all that uh that Probably this will result, like I let's say, synthesize both of your points, and this will result, I think, in more moles to six and fewer moles to five overall, which sounds okay to me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, sounds great to me. I don't like. I'm greedy, and like losing a card still sounds horrible to me. So I imagine I'll be the one on the more conservative side to start with, compared to the average player, where I think I'll be keeping more hands than you know. I, I still won't be that willing to just take mulligans to to C sixes. I'll probably just want the extra card a lot of the time, especially in especially in limited, uh, but in in standard as well. Uh, I think so. I think so too. Especially in the dark, maybe in game two and three, it's different what you're playing against. Yeah. Uh, if anybody is on arena, they can also test the London mulligan out right now in the singleton event. So there's been a series of special events that have been running each week on arena. Uh, and then you just kind of, they're testing a new style of queue where you can, or a new style of event, I suppose. Uh, so previously, you would have to do a run. So that this was for things like the promo Lanowar Elves, the promo, promo Galta. And you would, as, as long as you got one win, you would get like the common uh, reward, like the alternate art. And then if you got to whatever it was, I don't know, five wins or six wins, then you would get the, the rare alternate art reward but they tested a new one this time where it's just a a 15 win long track and you don't fail out if you like get two losses or whatever you just keep going until you get the 15 wins regardless of how many losses you've gotten and i I think that's a pretty good system it's better for the type of player that they want uh to to be in those kind of leagues i think they're they're more casual focused because like they've been so far they've been momir Pauper and Singleton. So those are all kind of fairly casual formats um, that attract uh, a certain kind of player. So uh, the, this system, I think, is much better because previously, let's say you had to get, I don't remember exactly, I think it was seven wins. So like you could get to six wins five times in a row and then just lose two. Like, like you get to six wins, then you lose two. And you go, right, okay, I'll try again. It's the exact same thing happens to you. If you keep getting stuck on six six wins, that's very very infuriating. Obviously, you'll get your common rewards very quickly, but then the the rare one will be eluding you, and there's nothing really you can do about that. Whereas this 
this style just kind of rewards raw wins. Yeah, I think that's a better way to go for these type of events for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's basically less of a less of a grind here. And yeah, so the current one, the current one singleton also has the London Mulligan implemented, so you can do that in there. I was very confused the first time I did it. I was like, "What? What's happening? What? What is? What do I have to do here?" Uh, it, it, the interface is slightly confusing on Arena. Um, maybe it's just because I wasn't used to it. I also tried it out in Paper yesterday because I got to play Paper Magic for the first time. I tried it out there, and I thought it was good, but. Uh, especially in paper magic, like I wasn't really used to doing that action, so uh, it w- I had to be very conscious of it while I was doing it, and not make any mistakes. And I also found the decision of which card to put on the bottom to be quite difficult, especially because I was playing Is It Phoenix, which is like a it's like a deck that wants raw cards, and you don't have any like super obviously like oh my hand doesn't have enough lands to cast this really expensive spell, so I'll put it on the bottom because I don't need it. I can't feasibly cast it with, with the rest of my hand. It doesn't really have those kind of hands, so it's really difficult to decide what to put on the bottom. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I can't wait to try it out. I'm jealous you guys have both gotten to play with it. Well, you know, just sign up for the Singleton event. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I got a Grixis list. It'll get you 15 wins real quick. Oh, yeah? Okay, throw it at me afterwards. Uh, I mean, it's basically just, as they say, Grixis binder. It's just all the Grixis cards that I own. Yeah, I think a lot of single events are going to end up like that anyway. You know, it's like our single decks. It's like, yeah, one of each color combination, one of each card. It's good in that color combination. Yeah, basically. All right. So, have you guys, uh, Kieran? You you let us know a little bit about what you've been doing in standard. Al, what have you been playing in standard recently? Um, I, I've I have. I have not been doing well in standard. Um, I haven't been playing much. Uh, I started playing a little bit of uh, four color Dreadhorde. Uh, this is a yeah, yeah this version with small Teferi and uh, massacre girl and like this. Uh, I suppose I'm not I'm not really used to all the different lists, so it's I noticed like notably this list is missing uh, five drop Teferi. Um, but I guess it's 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 it, I feel like it's, it's fun deck. I feel like it's a deck that does it does have game against a lot of other decks. I think uh, it's a Phoenix is a bad matchup. Um, there is. I've seen kind of quite a bit of that in the ladder, uh, so maybe it's not the right deck to play at this moment. Um, but I mean, I'm way down in gold, so like it's. I feel like it's, it's just a matter. I, I should just pick a deck that's just consistent and just uh, you know grind that up until I get to uh, the, the higher stage of the ladder. It's going well. We're gonna do some more today. I think Dan, when you're down in gold or whatever, the volume of games just matters a lot, and I like playing aggro decks when I'm down there, even if I don't think they're the best choice, just because you could you can just get more games in. And like when you're down at that level, your opponent is just your opponents are just gonna punt more against you. And uh punting against aggro decks also is like way more punishing than punting against a control deck where you can't take advantage of it easier. So I think the combination of those two things, I I like I played like White Weenie and Mono Red to, to get out of those divisions. Yeah, I, I think that's very well I, I should be doing uh, yeah at least um at least at first. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause you really notice the effects when your opponents punt when you're playing aggro, right? When you when they make a bad block or something like that. When you're playing control, it's kind of hard to tell if your opponents are punting against you because you're playing so reactive. Yeah. Uh, but that's the really the what I felt from grinding through those divisions. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Kieran? How you being on? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. So I I got to diamond very quickly at the start of the season. I've just been going up and down between diamond four and diamond two. 
uh, it's very frustrating. I keep getting up to Diamond 2 and then going on a big losing streak. Probably been playing decks that aren't the, the perfect decks. I, I've been playing this Black Green Ponza deck for my sins for some reason. I just keep going back to it and playing it. Because I just keep playing against these four-color decks, these Dreadhorde decks, and these Walkers decks. And I'm just like, I would just destroy you if I could field or ruin you out of the game. But then I play the Ponza deck, and even when I get those, I mean, sometimes you just get matched up against Mono Red or something and you just for free. So not a great deck for that reason. But then sometimes you you do get the good matchup and you get to Field of Ruin them, but then you just don't draw a way to close out the game. And, and you know, even though you Field of Ruin them three times or whatever, they just get to draw out of it and still win the game anyway. So that's, I, I've thrown away so many, so many wins deciding to play that deck for some reason. Uh, so I finally, I think I'm finally off it now. I'm not going to pick that deck anymore. I'd finally free the addiction of wanting to Field of Ruin people. Although I still really want to find a Field of Ruin deck that's good and standard. I just feel like the card is so insane right now, and there just isn't a good place for it. Um, so then the last couple of days I've been playing like an Is It Drake's deck, but it's it's from the recent GP. I think it came second place or something like that. Um, let me just find the list uh, so I can credit the uh, the creator of the list. So have you played, um, have you played smaller Black Green decks that uh, also play Field of Ruin, but not necessarily, you know, but not a uh, four assassins trophy or four uh, casualties of war. Yeah, I've played it with fewer casualties of war. I think you still want the assassins trophy just because that's like a just a great combo anyway, and it's just a card on its own. Uh, I found the deck here. It's from uh, Andrew Zigas, like eighth placed at eighth place at GP Kansas. Um, so the deck is basically it's it's got electromancers in it, but it doesn't have any crackling drakes. So the creatures are four Augur Bolas, four Electromancer, four Arclight Phoenix, and two God Eternal Kefnet. So, and you're not playing Tormenting Voices, you're only playing Charter Courses and Radical Ideas to get the the Electromancers, or to get the Phoenixes into the graveyard. So it's kind of a more controlling version with Augur Bolas, more removal in the main deck. Uh, and I've been really liking that on Arena because people just play so badly against you because they think you have Crackling Drake in your deck. Uh, but actually, you're just playing this control game, recurring phoenixes, so you have a much better time against control. You're never tapping out for a four mana phoenix. Uh, and then in the sideboard, you just have like nine control cards, something like that. that and basically, his plan sideboarding was always take out the Electromancers and the Radical Ideas, and then just bring in like eight control cards in every matchup. And that's been treating me really well. I feel like in Arena, people just don't sideboard well against that. They'll leave in, you know, Moment of Cravings and Cast Downs and Lightning Strikes and Shocks and stuff against you to kill your Electromancers, and they're just not in your deck anymore. So I ha I've had a lot of success with that deck. That got me up to Diamond 1. Um, and then I switched to the Blue-Green Mass Manipulation deck, as I said, because uh, Wolf, I know you're very high on that, and you told me to try it out. So... I pretty much just had a 50-50 win rate with that deck. Um, I, I was just basically going win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. I'm definitely not, not quite there with the sequencing on the deck yet. I'm sure there's I've lost games because I've you know I've played the Nissa on the wrong turn or untapped the wrong land with Nissa or something and not squeezed out all the mana I could get, stuff like that. But I, I, I've had pretty decent results with that deck, and I'll definitely be going back to it as well now that I have a bit more experience with it. Uh, but I've really liked both those decks that I've been playing this week. Nice, yeah. I, I really like the the Simic Manipulation deck, but I'm not that high on it anymore. Basically, uh, well, I got to Mythic playing mostly that, and then the few games that I've played at Mythic since, I just play against, like, Esper, Super Friends every single round, and they're just wrecking me now for some reason, because they all, they, all they all have access to Kaya's Wrath now. They're, try they're like this hybrid mid-range control version um and like if we look at the results from the scg invitational this weekend um in the top eight we've got four Esper super friends decks 
which is funny enough labeled as Esper superheroes here on the website. Um, yeah, they're all very, very similar. Like Bell Haunt in the main is the is the big thing now. So like Monored has just been totally pushed out. I haven't seen Monored in so long. And like the mass manipulation deck should be pretty effective against these decks, but for some reason, I'm not 100% sure what it is. I, I'm not not sure how to stay ahead of this meta, but they're just wrecking me. I think I think it's the the hero of Precinct One and Basilica Bellhaunt actually are pretty decent against uh, the Simic deck. Like Basilica Bellhaunt, like making you discard that card is pretty like it, it's a big cost, and the three four blocks the lands very very well. Um, and having when they have a Narset out, obviously you can't can't really cast your big Hydroid Crisis. And just the difference between the play and the draw as well. Like when when you're on the draw and they have a Teferi to bounce your mana creature, it's terrible. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm thinking maybe maybe try the Bant version for um, Shalai to give stuff hexproof. But even then, I quite like that version. Yeah, I've been playing against that kind of Bant midrange deck quite a bit, and I think it is probably the better choice rather than the Simic version at the moment. I don't have all the cards for that, which is why I haven't tried it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I do feel like you're totally right in that the metagame is just completely swamped with these Super Friends decks right now. One of the awkward things about it is it makes it really tough because you don't know exactly which version you're playing against because they all still have hero for the most part, but you just don't know how controlly are they. You know, some I've ran into a couple of versions recently that have gone back to Thief of Sanity and have punished me really, really hard because I just haven't seen that card in a week, so I haven't been expecting it. And then I sideboard out some of my removal and I just get smashed by a Thief of Sanity. So the fact there are so many similar Esper decks that are just impossible to tell apart in game one for the most part makes it really hard to know what you're playing against. Um, and I think that, yeah, the more controlling versions beat that mass mani- manipulation deck either way anyway. Yeah. Maybe the way to get ahead in this meta is to just play like a super controlling version of this same deck without any Bell Haunts or Hero Pre- Precinct 1 and then just play like all Planeswalkers, Rats in the main. You just don't have enough cards to tap out and play for though, right? Like that's why you pl- I think that's why you play the heroes still is there are there just aren't enough other good tap out control plays that are better than the hero. Well, uh, yeah. You know what I mean, I I know what you mean and the hero is really good in that it's a main deck thing that you can play that it it's good in the in this metagame of of the planeswalkers that all end up on one loyalty because hopefully you will have generated a few a few tokens from the from the hero and you can just attack in and kill their teferi or kill their kill their narset even if you lose a token uh, that's okay so i think that the hero does help that quite a lot but at the same time i think you could also just have all the answers in your deck instead. Like you could main deck uh, some copies of Elder Spell. You could main deck Dovin's Veto because most most of these uh, decks have them in the sideboard. So you could put those in your main. True. Yeah, I think uh, some lists. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see some lists, but I think it's sideboard planned for um Banner Dreadhorde that they play Banner Dreadhorde uh, in like the Esper colors, which which seems strange because you don't have you know the Explorer package. But I guess, I guess me, at least when I was playing 4 Quarter Dread Horde, uh, these Esper Hero, Esper uh, Planeswalker decks would basically just game two. I'd be like, yeah, I'm in control here. I'm going to cast uh, Commander Dread Horde next turn. Uh, and then they just cast one. And then I'd lose, um, which seems like a pretty uh, good plan for, for that matchup. Uh, I guess between their Othakaias and uh, their Basilica Bellons, they'll have you know, a, a bit of extra life to, to do that. Uh, have you come across a strategy or lists like this? Yeah. 
Yeah, when I was playing Esper, I, I generally had one Command the Dreadhorde in my main deck and one in my sideboard. You are right that it's it's a good way to fight against the the dedicated Command the Dreadhorde decks because you can just steal their stuff first. Um, and like if you bring back your Basilica Bell Haunt, you gain back a tiny bit of life. Well, you're, you know, net negative one life there, but you're still getting some life. It's not terrible. Um, so yeah, I think... And, and you can do things like bounce your Oath of Kaya to put yourself at a positive life total, you know, before any of these things ever happen. So uh, I think definitely these decks can make use of Command the Dreadhorde, not as dedicated as the, the actual four-color command decks. But uh, yeah, I think I, I think it is kind of an accepted strategy now. Like looking looking through the lists here, uh, I'm seeing Command the Dreadhorde in, again, this is the top eight from the SCG Invitational. I'm seeing at least one. So out of the four lists, there are two lists with one copy in the main deck and two lists with two copies in the main deck. And the lists that have one in the main also have one in the side. So all all these decks have access to two copies in the 75 of Command the Dreadhorde. Yeah, it's just such a mirror breaker as well. If you're just in a game where both players are playing this kind of slow mid-rangey thing and both players are at a decent life total, you know, and have dealt with each other's permanence into the mid-game, you just can't beat this card. It's just outrageous. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a ridiculous card. So, yeah, the perfect card, I think, right now would be some a, a card that can pressure them, or a deck that can pressure them, uh, so they can't cast an effective Command the Dreadhorde and a deck that doesn't care that much about them having little to ferry and nurse it on the board. Um, I don't know if that deck exists, to be honest. Maybe White Weenie is the answer. Yeah, Mono Red is, is, is to an extent. Uh, I think Mono, Mono Red, they have, they have, I think they have too much life gain with the with the Bell Haunts and the and the and the Oath of Kaya's and stuff like that. They're just set yeah. up really well. And like Chump Blockers from Hero, they're set up yeah. really really well to deal with Mono Red. Like I played it and I just felt like I didn't have the ring when I landed a Frenzy. I was mm. still I was still just losing. So that's why I'm thinking White Weenie. Is a deck where you can you can at least go huge. You know you can go Loxodon, Loxodon, Banalish Marshall, and then just Alpha Strike them, um, and you can kill them from twenty almost before they they have a chance to uh, to set up. But I don't know. Maybe that's the way to go. They were talking about it on the game podcast week. They were saying they maybe thought White Weenie would make a comeback, but it hasn't really shown itself in any results so far. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that could be a, a good call because, as you say, I think Monored is just totally pushed out by. The numbers of Basilica Bell Haunt, like across these four lists again, uh, you're looking at uh, three out of the four lists have four Basilica Bell Haunt main, and then the other one has uh, three. So, and then most of them have either two or three Oath of Kaya. And if if you're playing against Mono Red and you are able to play an Oath of Kaya, you're already so far ahead. And then if you're able to play it to Fairy and pick back up your Oath of Kaya, you just like you just won the game. So. Uh, and as well as that, I think fr- Frenzy is the way for for these red decks to to beat the Esper lists. However, most of the decks now are running at least two to three D Spark in the seventy five. So that's a that's a fairly clean answer right there. Yeah, definitely. I am seeing some Nightfail Predators in the sideboards of these decks. So hold on, let me just check the numbers. We've got two Nightfail Predators in Jonathan Rossum's sideboard. Uh, we've got none in Colin Roundtree's. We've got two again in Jonathan Hobbs' sideboard. In fact, I think Jonathan Hobbs and uh, Jonathan Rossum might have the same decklist. Let me just very quickly compare. Oh yeah, close, very close to the same. They just differ on the number of Narsets. Uh, and then in yeah, in the other two, yeah, the other two do not have Nightfell Predator. So w- what do you guys have any idea what these Nightfell Predators might be 
four. I mean, I guess yeah. they're not. I actually just can't touch them. Yeah, I actually know exactly what it is. It's because I was dominating the ladder so hard with my black green Ponza deck. People realized we just need a big hexproof threat that stops Carnage Tyrants because this Kiron guy is just winning too hard <laughs> with black green Ponza. So word was spreading there, and people started playing Nightfell Predator and made me almost throw my monitor out the window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, that's what happened. All right, that seems plausible. It's because of the yeah the dominance of Ponza. I think you guys you guys think that's the same theory. I think yeah, I don't think there's anything else. Could be. Um... <laughs> yeah, but it is it is good against that match. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. You can't beat it. Except for the fact that it's ridiculously hard to cast. Ah, sure. Just put a, put a few guild globes in your deck. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I was so the Immortal Sun springs to mind. However, the the numbers of D Spark kind of put paid to that idea somewhat. Um, I think it's still... they can just bounce it with Teferi too. Huh? they can just bounce it with a little Teferi too. So it's oh, really hard to make that card. Oh wait, no, you can't. What am I talking about? Activate Teferi. But yeah, my bad. Yeah, I yeah, and the fact that they have pressure like in the Basilica Bell Hunt and the Hero Precinct one, like Basilica Bell Hunt is no slouch when it comes to like attacking and blocking and stuff. So that's fine. Um, so I think the Immortal Sun doesn't always get you out of it, and there are ways that they can kill the Immortal Sun, so I don't know if that's 100% the, the way to go. One second, and my, my washing machine is beeping. Get your jocks out of there. No, it was just telling me it was done. Uh, but one other thing that I was thinking of was Star of Extinction. So I had this, I had this idea like maybe a week ago, week and a half ago, and I, I, I have these ideas, right? I'm trying to make myself sound like uh, a visionary here. I have these ideas about cards that are underutilized in Standard, and then I just don't say anything about them because I'm afraid of being laughed at. And then, like, just this past week on the Pro Points podcast, uh, I'm pretty sure Sam Black brought up Star of Extinction as a, as a possibility. And now I just feel like I'm copying Sam Black. But I swear to God, I had this idea of Star of Extinction a week and a half ago. But anyway, I played against someone on the ladder who was playing like a ramp star of extinction deck and it actually was was great against my esper super friends deck he was just killing my lands he, he was just ramping into it killing my lands and then and killing all my planeswalkers and everything i had on the board so i think star of extinction maybe combined with immortal sun could do something however the question there is what's the shell around it and what is the payoff as well because star of extinction doesn't win you the game so you still have to have something that will let you win the game. And I think playing the ramp creatures obviously is kind of a non-bow with Star of Extinction because you just killed all your own dudes as well. Uh, and then if you want to, like like Treasure Map comes to mind, but that can be bounced by Teferi. And that that's like super annoying to be bounced by Teferi, especially if it, you know, if it's on like two counters or whatever. If it's just about to flip and then it gets bounced, that's really, really annoying. And also, like, what creature is there? What what do you want to win the game with? Now, the guy that I played against who had the Star of Extinction deck had Palaka Worm, and that was his way to win the game. Uh, but I don't know if that's very consistent or good. Yeah, let's have a think of a yeah. What, what if you have any other? Um, do you have any? Do you have any big uh, indestructible creatures that can like survive a uh, Star of Extinction? I don't think there is. Zatalpa. There's Imperverse Great Worm. Oh yeah, but that like. That, yeah, okay, maybe. Cost ten mana though. And then, uh, ten mana, and it doesn't have trample, but you don't need trample if it's, if uh, there's nothing else on the board. True. 
He says the top. Yes, the top could work as well. Yeah. You probably just win with Immortal Sun, right? Like you have an Immortal Sun on the board as well, and then that just draws you out of it faster than your opponent can draw out of it after you you wipe the board. Yeah, I, I also feel like yeah, but like in this type of deck, you're you're playing like a lot of mana sources. So, but I suppose even if you draw mana dorks, then after it, that's fine because they're getting pumped by the Immortal Sun, so they actually will present a reasonable clock. Um, mm-hmm. The other yeah. thing about these Immortal Sun decks, I feel, is like a lot of them are like green decks and they want to play Nyssa, so there's like a, a tension there between Nyssa and Immortal Sun that I'm not quite sure how to resolve. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Nyssa st- still does get you the ramp because her passive ability isn't affected, so maybe it's fine. Maybe you can just literally play Nyssa on five, make one land into a creature, and then play your Immortal Sun next turn, and it's fine that you can't use your Nyssa again. I don't know, because you've got... Cause you've, yeah, you've locked down all the Planeswalkers, and I don't know. It's, it's a... Bit of a dilemma, but yeah, I'm I'm trying to work on this list. Um, I'm even looking at stuff like Azor's Gateway again. So you have to have a, a nice diverse range of casting costs to throw under there. And obviously, you need to also have removal in the main deck because if you come up against an aggro an aggro deck, then you know you need to defend yourself in some way. But yeah, the main the main question that I'm trying to f- ask myself at the moment is the is the payoff and how do you how do you close out the game? Yeah, um, yeah, I think you need to win oh, with like an artifact or an enchantment. Um, is there an enchantment that wins the game? What about Banefire? Maybe Banefire. Yeah, yeah, that could work. If you're ramping massive, especially if you have a Nissa and like her ability is still active, but I do I do think there's it's going to be fairly unlikely that you'll be able to. 20 somebody with Banefire, even with Nissa out a lot of the time. So you'll probably have to draw two Banefires, or maybe there's some way to double the Banefire, Primal Amulet maybe, but now we're just playing like a bad deck, right? I mean, it's possible. I mean, all decks start as bad decks, right? Yeah, I suppose. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta think about this stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just so very easy to default to, like you said, just playing Mono White or whatever. Yeah. It's it is an interesting format, and like you were saying last week, things have been moving really fast. I feel like that has kept up for like this week as well. Like, um, it it feels like the meta is just constantly changing, and you do feel that way even just playing on the ladder. I don't know. I think Is it Drake's is is a really good choice at the moment. I feel like it's you can you can pressure these Esper decks pretty well. It's pretty good. Obviously, Teferi and Narset are insane against you, but you can just kill them with burn spells sometimes. Yeah, I think Is It Drakes is a good like all rounder. I don't don't think it really has a bad matchup per se. It's pretty bad against the green mass manipulation decks. I think. Really? I think so. Yeah, like um, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's hard to beat Nissa with the deck. Mm-hmm. Like you like you, when you kill their mana dorks, you can't. You're not killing them very fast in the version I'm playing, at least. Oh. And then they just play a Nissa, and they're just back in it. Yeah, one of the one of the things that like would attract me to Is It Phoenix is the ability to play uh, Sahili and Crackling Drake for the like big surprise kills. In your more controlling version, I guess that's that's not on the table, but yeah, exactly. I was win- I did play the Crackling Drake version too, and I was winning with that as well. So I think both are are pretty good options. I think Arclight Phoenix is just a super powerful card right now, but it's hard to bring yourself to play Charter Courses and Radical Ideas when so many opponents decks have Nurse at main deck too. Yeah, that is tough. And finale doesn't work with with little Teferi on the board and stuff. So they those decks just I think those those matchups are like relatively even. I was trying to think, is there a way I can build an is it 
Arclight Phoenix deck that has four Field of Ruin, like, can I make the mana work with that? Because I, I think that would be really, really good. And also it would solve a huge problem I have with the deck, which is when you cast an Augur of Bolas and you have to put an Arclight Phoenix on the bottom of your deck is one of the most tilting things in, a, in any standard deck I've ever played. Uh, I know there's nothing you can do about it, but if I had Field of Ruin, I could shuffle them back in, maybe. I don't know. Am I going? Am I losing my mind? Is that is that too crazy? No, I think that's a reasonable thought. But the only thing is, I, I feel like the, the Phoenix deck is way too mana intensive. Like, colored mana intensive yeah. to do that. It is. It is. Yeah. Like, is there a version I could play that didn't have that? You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't that bad. Like, maybe I just don't play Electromancers. Um, I don't think Electromancers are, are that good anyway, so if I take out Electromancer, it becomes a lot more possible. But, like, you don't have Llanowar Elves, so you're never Field of Ruining them before turn 3 anyway, so maybe it's just maybe it's just not powerful enough an effect. Yeah, and I suppose, like, as well, you know, Man Intense in, in, in cost, it's like you're... You, most of the time, you know what you're going to be doing on turn 3 or, or turn 4. It's, it's it's kind of Field of Ruining someone early in the game isn't part of your main plan. Yeah. That's true. I do think Field of Ruin is like criminally underplayed right now, but there just isn't a deck for it. Is the problem right? Like, like where could we play Field of Ruin that isn't the terrible black green? Is there a place for it? Could you play it in some kind of green white Llanowar Elves deck? I don't know. Yeah, I was also I mentioned before just to do the Black deck with Storev and yeah, without Casualties of War. Right, but like Storev isn't isn't a powerful magic card, right? This is this is the problem with with the Ponza deck. And like I think no matter what version of it you build, if you're just playing straight black green, when you get to the late game, your cards are just underpowered compared to your opponents. Like if the game goes long, like you don't have a fast way to close the game, and then your late game threats, like you know, you have like Carnage Tyrant and Storev and Vivian and stuff like that, which are decent magic cards, and like that was a way to win games of standard six months ago, but it's just not good enough now that they have Hydroid Crisis and they have these other absolutely insane late game bombs that just completely turn the game on its head. I think I think at the end of the day, you just the power level just isn't there if you're playing straight black green. Yeah, That's after playing a lot of variations of it, that's my... Maybe my Star of Extinction deck could play Field Rune. Oh yeah, that sounds good. So, yeah, and you have Llanowar Elves too. Mm-hmm. So that sounds sweet. Yeah. And you probably you would have Llanowar Elves and... Paradise Druid, so you probably would still like you wouldn't be stuck on mana even uh, like even with the colorless source is what I'm saying. You you would still you would still have access to enough colored mana. Yeah, if Ramanap Excavator was legal right now, that, that deck would be insane. Some kind of Greenfield Ruin deck. Well, we have Crucible of Worlds. You have Crucible, but it's it's not quite the same. Like Crucible really isn't a card you can main deck. I was thinking of playing. I don't know if you guys watched Andrew Andrew Cuneo's stream ever, but for a long time last season, he was playing just a straight blue white control deck with Crucible main deck and four Field of Ruin, and you could find the Crucible with Sir Trescanta relatively easily. So I was thinking that could be a possibility either. And like, I think you run into the same power level problem when you're playing straight blue white, but it's not as bad as playing straight black green. So there could be some kind of blue white control brew with field of Ruin. Yeah. what else what else you could do you could have the same deck that you're talking about but you could have karn the great creator and you could have the crucible in your sideboard you could have an immortal sun in your sideboard you could have a sorcerer spyglass in your sideboard that sounds super sweet yeah i mean at that point it might just be a best of one deck right for for arena at least but like as in it would just be better to play that in best of one and then you could just dedicate your whole sideboard to that yeah yeah I don't know if anyone could be good in best of three too. I don't know if anyone plays best of one anymore. <laughs> the last time I tried to play it, I was in a queue for three minutes, and I was like, "Oh no, I'm not going to do this." Oh really? Okay, that makes oh, sense. God. 
Yeah. I'm glad things have gone that way, to be honest. I was scared that best of one was gonna dominate Arena. No, I I'm, obviously hasn't been the case. I, I yeah, I would be interested to see their like data because like as soon as Best of Three came out, I just switched that and I was like, No, I'm not looking back. The best of three is the way I want to play Magic. Yeah, I've only queued a few best of yeah. one games and they've literally just been like when I don't think I have time to play a full best of three before I leave the house or something like that, and then I can just spend ten minutes playing a mono red game in best of one. So sometimes I'll I'll queue up a best of one like unranked game just like to test out a deck if I have a, an idea for something uh, and that's the way I want to test it if I want to just do it quickly. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. the only time I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, I haven't got back either, and I'm I'm glad for it. Yeah, and when whenever. Um... Yeah, even though I also very rarely play these, though um, it's fun. Uh, though casual events because I'm like, ha, ah, these are these are not Magic the Gathering. More more basic is not Magic the Gathering. The best one isn't popper, kind of is, but um, I'm just I'm sick of the ladder. No fun for me. Only grinding. Yep, same here. Grinding the ladder. Yeah, until you get to Mythic, then you can take a break. <laughs> no, Mythic number one. All right, all right. Got to aim high. All right, uh, that that probably concludes our standard discussion for the week. So. My my task is to work on that Star of Extinction deck, see if I can get something functional going. Um, you guys, care, or, uh, Al, what are you going to investigate? Are you going to go back to Grixis, maybe? Um, I, I'll probably take, take on Clear's suggestion of uh, just get Pay Mod Red until I get higher in the ladder. Um, mm. And then I guess, uh, yeah, so I, I suppose yeah, I, I, I'm looking at the, the, the Soulside Dreadhorde lists from um, from the SG Invitational. I think about two different lists top, top aided. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's, it's kind of a. Yeah, so I suppose kind of as as Kieran was alluding to, it's like the the formats of the way that you know when you get to the late game, you need to have a very very powerful play. Um, and I guess you know once the mid game has gone according to plan for these dread horde decks, uh, you know once you get to well, once you're casting command dread horde, uh, the game gave you just sense. Uh, and I feel like it is quite a difficult deck to play, but I'm I have the fair amount of experience with it now. Um, the mirror is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Something that when I when I first played the dread horde mirror, I was thinking, oh, this is this is terrible. It's uh, it's a server cast dread horde first. But then playing that, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my my, my game plan is gonna ramp and cast Dread Horde before my opponent does." That if you're casting it on turn four, there's nothing in the graveyard, uh, <laughs> so you have to, you have to also kind of control the graveyard. So then, so, so it's really interesting. You begin games where you know your opponent has Grand Dread Horde, but you're, uh, you're, you're making sure nothing goes into the graveyard for for them to get value out of it. Um, so you're doing stuff like you might explore and you might cast Jaded Jaded Ranger on on turn three, and then you explore and it's like Lander Elves or Lander or, or um, a uh, like a uh, like Murphy Branch Walker, and you're thinking, oh well, I can't put this in the graveyard, but I don't want to draw it, but I guess I have to draw it because I'll <laughs> be given that value. Um, and you end up, end up in, it's great actually, and you end up in great situations where, like, so you, like having to fairy uh, is is pretty important because the basis yes turns turns off any counter magic they have, but also lets you cast Commander Dread Horde at instant speed, so you can react to their Commander Dread Horde by casting your own, oh, yeah. or you can cast it in combat before blocks. Um, it, it just a, a lot of absolute nonsense happens. Uh, you also got to really heavily lean on Tamio to make sure they can't uh, cast any. Go you know, take take your commander out of your hand. Um, yeah, this ends up being a really really difficult and complicated uh, game of Magic uh, when yeah. you're playing the Dreadhorde Mirror. I don't want to deal with that. I feel like that just gives me too many opportunities to punt the game myself. I, like I'm happy for my opponent to be in that position as to try to beat them down with white one drops or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Like it's just so hard and like. Especially if you want to play a tournament or something, do you really want to have be play mirrors of those matches like for like six rounds straight or whatever? You know, if you play a paper tournament, that just sounds like a nightmare. I mean, yeah, I suppose if you're if you're in a position where you feel like you have an edge in a mirror because you have so much practice in it, and then you can outplay people who 
if, if you're if you're if you're confident that you won't get swamped with all this information and you're you're less likely to make punts and you're playing against players who uh you know who who are over who are swamped by this all this information and who are um you know, you know buried under all these um it kind of gives you an opportunity to, opportunity to uh to outplay them. True. That's very true. And I think you're very good at that specifically, Al. I think you're like that's one of your strong skills as a magic player is is having the edge and those type of mirrors, like you were, you were excellent with those Scarab God decks uh, back in that standard, and it, which was a very least, a very similar type of thing where that, you know, there's all these cards in the graveyard sequencing of when you, you know, go to remove stuff from the graveyard, you manage how many threats you have on board versus versus what you commit. I, I think that's definitely one of your, your strongest suits as a magic player. For me, I kind of want to avoid those situations and I want to play a more asynchronous game where my opponent and I are just trying to do different stuff and I am hopefully I have hopefully more experience with whatever my strategy is against theirs than they do against mine. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Definitely, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I'd be I'd be more in in Kieran's camp there as well. I I think I think I'm okay in those situations. I can do fine, but I'm not the best, so that kind of automatically puts me at a disadvantage against the other really good players in the room, and I would get tired out by those type of things like round after round. So yeah, I would rather address that with my deck choice than my like technology choice or 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 like individual card choices and and play skill that could be a whole episode discussion to be honest that kind of conversation of uh of when it's right to do that yeah definitely i think it's it's almost like um we kind of alluded to before i guess uh i kind of said how before almost like, i think it's almost just pre-arena i was i would just uh uh just pick one deck and just get very good at it and get like you're saying like get the edge in the mirror uh but i feel like now most more easily the format has been wide open um so it's kind of more difficult to do that so i think maybe earlier on this season uh the it was more important like deck choice was, was very very important and uh like like you wolf we talked before but kind of just you know observing what's happening on the ladder and then adjusting your even even on the fly just adjusting what deck you're playing if you're seeing uh, if, you're, if you're as you're seeing the meta change and, and, and adjust so it's almost like um it's like it's like two different two very two very different approaches uh, to magic which i think some formats will lend itself to let you one be more advantageous over the other. And uh, yeah, so it's identifying you know, which mode to switch into. I'll drink to that. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's going to do it for this week. We don't really have much much more. Uh, I will mention we got an email from Eamon with some lovely new Teletime warp cards, so I'm going to go through them here. Um, Did we? Wait, I missed this. Yeah. This is news to me. Oh, nice. Okay, I'm excited. I'll read out the email first, and then I'll read out the cards. So he says, uh, one of the things I love about Irish folklore is Gias. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it. Do you guys know how to pronounce that one? G-E-A-S. Gias. Gias, maybe. Gias. Gias. (laughs) Which are magically imbued promises. Uh, So what happens usually is a hero will make a promise with good intentions, but then break it, or they're tricked into breaking it, and suffers the consequences. Uh, Due to his love of curses, that's how he tried to fit them into magic rules. These cards are cool. thing, but breaking the promise could cost you more. Uh, he's also included a legendary creature, creature Queen Maeve. Uh, he has one version, and because it's only good when you're losing, his friend Alex designed a pushed version. So I'll read them out here. Um, so the first one is Gas of Fealty. So it's a three and a red enchantment curse. Enchant player. Creatures enchanted player controls enter the battlefield tapped. And whenever enchanted player blocks a creature you control, creatures you control get plus two plus O oh, until end of turn and then sacrifice guess of fealty. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's like a yeah, so you're, so you're giving someone a um, a minor convenience, but then turn it into a big advantage when they play against you. Yeah, that's cool. I but like that. It's very awkward because they're like all their creatures are entering the battlefield top, so it's very difficult for them to block in the first place. 
But then as soon as they do block, your creatures just get big and run them over. Or at, at least, you know, constantly traded them. Well, one thing I'm not sure about is his wording here. He says, whenever enchanted player blocks a creature you control. So I think that should probably be like, whenever a creature controlled by enchanted player or something like that. Yeah, it's, it would have to be, yeah, slightly awkward uh, templating. But, you know, that's fine. One second, Sonia just came in. Um, and then the other part is uh, whenever blah 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 blocks creature you control creatures you control get plus two plus out. Would this would this trigger off each creature that blocks? Like so, like if I if if my opponent who is enchanted with this blocks three of my creatures, would I get this plus two plus out three times? Uh, yeah, you would. All right, I don't know if that's how Eamon intended it. He can let us know. Uh, and the the flavor text is bow to your king. Very nice. Uh, nice What's the name? Up next, we've got. Guess of Knowledge. It's a 3-bit blue for uh, a curse. Enchanted player, whenever enchanted player draws a card, you draw a card. And then whenever enchanted player draws his or her third card in a turn, enchanted player discards two cards and you sacrifice Guess of Knowledge. Okay, cool. So, if that second clause happens, it means that they've drawn three cards and so have you, but then they have to discard two of those. I like this one. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like the front half of it is just like a fixed uh, risk of Yeah. Well, no, it's like uh, I mean, it's including when they draw for turn, so it's basically a helling mine, one-sided helling mine. <laughs> yeah. Really strong. I like that card. It's cool. Yeah, it does seem very good. All right, and then we've got Queen Maeve, and I don't know where he got the art here, but it's amazing. So uh, the first cool. version. This is, this is a lot of text, by the way, guys. I'm looking at the image, so let's. Yeah. Viewers are gonna have to try and keep up here. Well, maybe I'll put that. This is a great card. I'll put these in the show notes. I'll put these in the show notes. So it's one black black for a 2-2 human, legendary creature human. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have less cards in hand than an opponent, draw a card. Then, if you have less life, gain two life. Then, if you control fewer creatures than an opponent, create a 1-1 black warrior. So there's three effects happening off that. That's pretty good. And then the the pushed version is two black black for a 2-3. And this is very small text. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have the fewest cards in hand, each opponent discards a card, then you draw a card. Oh my god. If you have the least life, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Then, if you have the fewest creatures, each opponent sacrifices a creature and you return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. That one is... That is so busted. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I guess she does nothing. If, if you're ahead on all metrics, she does nothing. But, I mean, that's kind of good anyway. Yeah, yeah, that card's insane. I would that would be my commander for sure for my mono black commander deck. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty sick. That's, all, that's yeah, unreal. Yeah, because uh, you know, as as we learned in previous episodes, uh, yes, yeah, story of Maeve, uh, yeah, marching on Ulster because um, her her husband had better uh, better farm animals than she did. <laughs> um, so it's basically kind of like trying to even to yeah, uh, between her effect is trying to make you and opponent have uh, an even number of resources. Yeah, uh, like she did with her husband. Yeah, I feel like. For the creatures, should get a a three three cow token. Oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be, that'd be good. Okay. I love it. A white cow. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us this week. So if you want to check us out uh, on Twitter, a Twitter account, it's at Skullcrack. Uh, uh, crack spelled C R E I C. We have an email account through which you can send us custom cards that we will read out on the show uh, as Eamon has just done so our email account is skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com and you can find us on any podcast directory that you use whether that's iTunes or uh, Stitcher or any of those things you can find us on there, uh, Spotify as well we're also on Spotify now 
And that is going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Ahead of our ahead of the new Magic the Gathering TV show, uh, the, the animated series, um, I think it's a good idea that we reinforce the fact that we uh, we we had an idea like this uh, uh, much earlier on in our in the life in the life cycle of our uh, podcast. Um, this is Mana Dorks. I think we had a theme song for Mana Dorks. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like Mana Dorks. That's the show. It's starting now. Um, so yeah, I guess so. Manadorks is following the uh, the adventures of of uh, three high school kids, high high school high schoolers who who uh, who who play magic, and magic is basically it's just like in Yu Gi Oh, where it's big tournaments with big played with big uh, big uh, holograms and stuff. And uh, our our main character, so the tr- our three characters are uh, Richie G. Uh, he is our every man protagonist. Uh, we have. Um, uh, Timmy, who is Richie G's younger brother, who likes playing big stompy decks, and uh, Spike, who is uh, the brains of the operation. Um, also, I, I think we said before, uh, Spike, we conceived uh, Spike the character for this uh, uh, show uh, before uh, Spike Tournament Grinder was, was printed, uh, and our description was more or less the same. So this is uh, two instances of plagiarism, I find, I found uh, that Wizards of the Coast may or may not um, have, have, have done uh, with this podcast. But... Um, yeah, so Richie G is going to enter into a big tournament for some personal sad reason. I can't remember why. He needs money. And, and he's entering this big, massive, multi-million dollar tournament uh, to win a load of money with his deck. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about his deck choice in a second. But the main antagonist of, of this the villain of this show is uh, this is ex-poker uh, player and billionaire playboy Dan Pizarian um, with his high-class prostitutes and his millions and millions of dollars and his boats and his guns. Um, so he'd make a good bad guy for this show. Um, so yeah, so I suppose before we left off, before uh, Richie G was uh, playing in this tournament, he played against a few wacky characters who played some wacky decks. Uh, so Richie uh, qualified for day two of this tournament where he's going to play against some more wacky characters with wacky decks. So uh, so for you folks, I'm going to read out some, uh, I'm going to give the names of some decks and I use uh, to suggest what kind of wacky character, cartoon character would play this deck um, the same way we did before. So are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay, um, so we're going to start off with some, so I, I guess the format of this is basically just all the formats that have cool decks in them. Um, it's all it's all scaled and it's all fine. So so what kind of person is going to be playing Amulet Titan? I'm Amulet Titan. Um, hmm. I, I, I feel like that would be like um, like a, a muscly like bodybuilder type guy who kind of looks like primetime. <laughs> that works. That works. I feel like Amulet Titan is like it started off as like the timmiest deck ever, and is there like or like sort of Johnniest deck ever, super comboy. Well, it's kind of a Connie uh, Timmy Johnny hybrid, right? Because you cast big monster, it's this crazy combo deck. But now, because it's a really good deck, it's also incredibly spiky. So it's kind of it, it would have to be a sort of Timmy Johnny type that has sort of morphed over time into the ultimate spike. So I feel like it'd be like a real like a 
like a nerdy kind of bodybuilder, you know, like black rim glasses and like white shirt, but like incredibly swole. Yeah, yeah. I think um, oh, there, there's there's it's a trope I really like seeing in uh, stuff like this where you could have like maybe early on earlier on in the season there was a kid who wanted who admired Richie G's uh, uh, magic playing, and this kid says, "Oh, I want to learn how to play magic. Can you teach you how to play magic?" And Richie was like, "Oh, you're just a kid. Go away, kid." Uh, I don't. I'm, I don't have time to teach you. You're just just a fan. And then, uh, you know, off screen, this this uh, kid who is shown becomes very, very good and and very, very powerful. And then uh, we meet this character again. Uh, you know, at the end of Act Two. Um, yeah, yeah. Where so meets, you know, the... we'd ha- we'd have to plant it early with this little kid getting interested in magic, and then after Richie G fobs him off, he like he's sad, so he buys buys a pack to make himself feel better, and he opens opens a primeval titan. Oh, that like, is great. Whoa. And I like he it. comes back years later and he's a master of amulet. <laughs> and, and now bodybuilder. Yes. Uh, uh, that's, uh, that was pretty well. Um, so I, I suppose actually we've got to say, so what, I, you might have decided before what deck uh, Richie G should play. Uh, something like very normal. Something very like a, like just mid-range. Uh, maybe, did we say humans? Was it team or energy at the time? No. It was. was it what at the time, sorry? Team or energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Gotta get the timelines. Okay, so now, so... Yeah, um, yeah, I'll the universe. All right, how about uh, is it Phoenix? Mm. Esper Hero, I feel like. Well, well, hold on. I, yeah, Esper Hero. Uh, are you are you saying what what do we think he's playing now, or are you saying what type of person would play is it Phoenix? Sorry, yeah, sorry, I I moved on. Sorry, yeah. So in, in, oh. in round two, sorry, round two, day two. Um, so yeah, so Team Energy manages to smash uh, <laughs> uh, Amulet Titan somehow. I guess the Braid is in the format. That's pretty good. Uh, and now he's playing against uh, Is It Phoenix? So yeah, what wacky character is playing Is It Phoenix? Mm. I feel like we said the mad scientist kind of trope before, right? But I feel like it applies here too. Yeah, probably more heavily here than I think we might have said Storm before for mad scientist trope. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it equally applies here. This type of guy who like could be something like a when, when Richie G makes like a good play against him, he gets like real mad and like little sparks of electricity flash between his his, his hair. His pointy hair. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I could also be like a, a bird keeper, like um. Oh. I don't know. Someone lots of oh, like a. I'm thinking of. Wasn't there like bird characters of Pokemon, like um, in in the game? Yeah. Bird watcher, like he's got a cage and it's got like a, a trench coat with lots of belt buckles. Yeah. I was gonna um, ask. You said bird keeper. I was like, is that a phrase I'm, I'm not aware of? <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing, right? Bird keeper. Oh. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, okay. Have, uh, right. Murmuring Mystic in his deck then. Oh yes, nice. Well, that works. Um, right. So how about uh, another Storm deck? How about Adazium Tendrils? No, I have no idea. I feel like this would be like an old, older sort of businessman in like a really nice suit who like doesn't look like a magic player at all. And then they sit down and they just open their deck box and they just have this incredibly expensive, like foiled out legacy storm deck with like beta jewel lands and stuff like that and you realize like oh wow it's like they've been playing for like 20 years and they have all these incredible old cards and but they've kind of moved on from playing magic but they just play the occasional tournament but you know they're like a master because they've been playing their deck for so long oh yeah i like that. yeah that's pretty sweet <laughs> and then um energy somehow beats that as well right Go on. oh yeah well they can't beat a turn to uh long toast cub no unless they kill you on turn one yeah he got inside war negate <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, okay, how about a uh, Alasaurus Rider Neo Brand deck, brand new meta? I don't know. This, that's not even magic. I know. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I, a Yu-Gi-Oh player. Yeah, I, I, I literally Yu-Gi-Oh from the TV show Yu-Gi-Oh. 
yeah. uh, is playing and is yeah I I was the decklist open in front of me it's like in ter- I kind of we had, we had a discussion before how, how like modern is like almost very it's almost like it's a very flavorful format that all of the decks are like um you know it's like you've got Murfolk and Affinity and Storm it's like all these big archetypes and they're all very kind of flavorful whereas uh with I have a new brand decklist open in front of me and it is just a big pile of cards Wild Cantor such nonsense man they need to they need to get rid of this deck it's so stupid yeah this could be um uh <laughs> yeah it could be a Yu-Gi-Oh character who's playing playing a second and then uh, it could be just a, 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 com- a comedy moment where uh, as the game begins um they play a card that's banned and uh, they get disqualified for the tournament yes so oh, then nice. richie g makes it to the final nice. but it's kind of like people are booing him because he got in by default um and it's uh he, he's kind of wondering did i deserve this or did i just get lucky um and then he goes up against uh our final villain dan pizarian surrounded by stacks of dollar bills um uh, instagram models and and the yachts he's, he's on a yacht the, the final battle is being played on a yacht um so we're going to switch it around now so what kind of deck i think we might have said this before but maybe it's changed uh what deck will dan pizarian bring to the table mono red burn i feel like it's like grix's control well, i think we said that yeah, we said that about spike i think oh did we damn okay Oh yeah, eight rack. Oh uh, yeah, I was actually thinking along those lines. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> eight rack would be pretty good. Well, I I think yeah. he does have to be. I think he has to be playing a deck that people love to hate. So I, I really honestly do think that burn would be a good choice. Even though... people absolutely hate eight rack as well, though. Do they? I don't know. You ever played against that deck? It's so infuriating. No, so that's probably why I don't. Know oh, it's nonsense. How much people hate it? Yeah, spell box is a ridiculous card. It's like um, yeah, we we could have a dramatic moment where um uh. You know, Dan wins. Dan wins the dice roll, and then um, we're thinking, "Oh no, he's going to go first. He's going to take the play. We're already at a disadvantage." And then he says, "I'll choose to draw," and then it's a, a dramatic drawback. It's going to be a long and intense game, and uh, the winner of this match of this final is going to be Dan Blitzarian because Magic is a pay-to-play, pay-to-win game uh, with a high uh, with a high monetary uh, barrier. Uh, and someone with more resources will likely do well at a high-stakes tournament. Um, and Paper Magic is dead. Uh, goodbye. Do the final episode of the podcast. We're all quitting Magic. Goodbye. <laughs> That's a joke. We're not. Oh, yeah. We're, we, yeah. We don't have to end right now. But uh, yes, um, sometimes a uh, standard deck doesn't beat a modern deck. It's pretty, it's pretty fortunate that Richie G got this far in the tournament. But, you know, um, by having him lose in such a, such a dramatic manner, uh, we leave the door open for... Uh, further series and more wacky adventures yeah well i i think that if he loses then he'll be like incentivized to go through the whole process of oh why did i lose my deck needs this or maybe i need to switch to a new deck and he starts to buy new cards and that like influences the the kids who are watching the show to also do the same thing yeah. <laughs> you know kids sometimes you need a tier one deck you can't beat a tier one deck when the, a tier one deck that's a good lesson to end on i think yeah yeah i think so all right. Life is not fair. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, bye bye.